If you would open with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, we are going to continue our series going through the Hall of Faith chapter. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11, how many of you enjoyed this series so far? We're getting a little bit towards the end of it. And uh, thank you, Mary. God bless you. Uh, I'm glad that you have enjoyed it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're learning about faith, and we've been learning about what faith is and what faith looks like and how faith manifests and how we are called to be people of faith, that in every generation, God has his faithful people who live for him, and you and I are called to be part of that great cloud of witnesses, that great assembly, that great group of faithful People. And though the Bible is not still being written today, the, the 66 books, the canon of the Bible, the canon of Scripture is closed, still the story of God is continuing to be written. And you and I, our names are part of that story. So we might not have our names in Hebrews chapter 11, but we have our names written in another book in heaven, the book of life. And we are called to be God's faithful people in the earth today. And I believe that you are part of that cloud of witnesses. You are part of God's faithful people. In verse 1 of Hebrews 11, it gives us the definition of faith. I think it's good to read that again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not Seen. As Pastor Terry was praying tonight, he mentioned that faith sees things that aren't seen with the natural eyes. That faith sees beyond the, the, the temporary. Faith sees beyond the natural. Faith sees beyond that to believe the promise of God. To hold on to the promise of God. He says it's the conviction of things not seen. You know, we look at our world today, and, and if we only looked through our natural eyes, we would all be very depressed. But I believe we're called to be, as God's people, optimists. Why? Because God is working in the world today. God is saving people today. God is redeeming people today. God is calling forth a people for himself today. So we should be optimistic about that. Because we serve the God that defeated death. We serve the one who walked out of the grave on the third day. Nothing is impossible for our God. And so faith manifests in the confident obedience to God's word. We trust in God and his word. We believe his word is true. Therefore, we choose to obey his word. Even when situations and circumstances might, might try to lie to us and tell us, that no, we ought not obey his word, we should change his word, we should tone down his word, we should listen to another word. No, faith manifests in saying, no, I trust in God. Therefore, I'm going to stand on his word in spite of my circumstances, in spite of the consequences, or even what I perceive might be the outcome. And as we've walked through these heroes of the faith, what we have seen is that they obeyed God in spite of their circumstances. None of them had easy circumstances. None of them, it was eaten, for none of them it was easy to obey God. It was difficult to obey God in their circumstances. 
And in all of their circumstances, their obedience to God would have looked like it was going to produce one thing, but in fact, it produced another. It looked like they were up against the odds, but, and, and it seemed even impossible in the natural, and even obeying God in the natural looked like a foolish thing. But the outcome was totally different. The outcome was totally unexpected. The outcome was produced by God because God gets involved when we leverage our faith. When we leverage our faith, when we step out in faith, we give God an opportunity to move. You see, if we only do things in the natural, if we only think with our our flesh and in our fallen mind, we are not yielding ourselves to the Lord and therefore we're not yielding, uh, we're we're not making that opportunity for the Lord to move. But when we live by faith, We're constantly giving God room to move in our lives. We're constantly being led by the Spirit of God. And so that leads us to uh, the passage that we're looking at. And we're starting in verse 32 tonight. And we're looking at 32 through 34. And he says, he says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel, the prophets and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And women even received back back their dead by resurrection. He says, he starts this passage by saying, time would fail me. And so he's been going through and looking at in some detail, Abraham and Enoch and uh, Moses and uh, Moses' parents and Rahab. He's been going through and giving us some detail on these But now he's running out of time and he he doesn't have space. And so he just begins to list off names. And so we are in that section of names. And so he didn't have space to write about it, but we're going to take each one. So last Sunday night, uh, Pastor Mark gave us a message on Gideon. And so we have this list of names here, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. And so tonight we're moving from Gideon to Barak. We're going to study about Barak tonight. Now, how many of you know anything about Barak in the Bible? You know anything about Barak? Some of you have probably never knew, you didn't know that Barak was in the Bible. You thought when I said we're going to study about Barak, you were thinking of somebody else. I heard of somebody else named Barak, but we're studying the Barak in the Bible tonight. He's one of the judges, and in this passage, there are four judges listed, Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah. So we read about Barak in Judges chapter 4, so let's go back to Judges chapter 4 tonight. Judges is the seventh book of the Bible. After Joshua, we have the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 4. The book of Judges is an interesting book in the Bible. 
as you'll see as we read through this passage. Now, I'm going to read a section of this story about Barak. And I have to confess to you, I think they put all of the hardest names to pronounce in the Bible in this section. And I spent about 40 minutes this afternoon trying to learn the pronunciation of these words. And we'll see how much that paid off uh, as we go through this. But if I don't get the pronunciation of these names right, please forgive me. So Judges chapter 4, Judges chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, and the people of Israel again, everybody say again, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So not a great start to this story. Not a great start. And it tells us this, is, this happened after Ehud died. We don't have time to go into that. That's in Judges chapter 3. And because of the, of the evil that they are doing, actually, actually, let's pause right here. Let's go to Judges chapter 2. Let's read about what was happening in the book of Judges. So flip back with me. Judges chapter 2 sets the whole stage for the whole book of Judges. And it tells us about this cycle. Judges chapter 2 and verse 11. It said, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. That's the idols of the foreign people in the land of Canaan. So God had brought the people out of uh, slavery in Egypt through the wilderness, given him his law, given them his law and his covenant promises and his covenant blessings, led them into the promised land through Joshua. And now it's Joshua has passed away and it's, it, Israel's history is progressing. All throughout the days of Joshua, Israel served the Lord but after Joshua's generation passed away, that's where this is. And so the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, the, the Baals, the, the, the idols in the land. Verse 12, they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm, as the Lord had warned them. Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord had given them his, his pathway of blessing, and his pathway of curse. And he said, if you follow this path, you will live in my blessing. And if you don't follow uh, the, the pathway of, of faithfulness, then you're going to live in the, in, the, in the pathway of the curse. And, and they had chosen and forsaken the Lord. And so the Lord is faithful and the Lord is true. And so the Lord is making good on the promise that he had made to them. And it says, and they were in terrible distress. Verse 16 then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. And they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. 
For the Lord was moved to pity for their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods and serving them and bowing down to them. And so this is the process that that repeats itself over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. That there is sin in the land. The Lord brings them into bondage because of their sin. They cry out to the Lord, make supplication to him, and then the Lord brings salvation. So it's sin, slavery, supplication, salvation. That's the order that repeats itself over and over again throughout the book of Judges. And so Barak is one of these judges that God raises up to bring deliverance to his people. And so we read again that the Lord sold them, now into chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. So this is again in, in, in part of this cycle. So he had delivered them. They had served the Lord for 80 years, but then they had turned away from the Lord. So the Lord sends the, sells them, bring, raises up a king from Canaan to rule over them to turn their hearts back to the Lord. So he reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. How was that? Did I get it? And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. So they turn away from the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. The Lord raises up someone to bring distress to them, to turn their hearts back to the Lord. And so the people cry out to the Lord for help. And it tells us that he had 900 chariots of iron and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. So they're under the the oppression of the Canaanites for 20 years. And it tells us in verse 4 that there was a prophetess named Deborah, the wife of Lepidoth was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for her judgment. And so the Lord raised up this prophetess named Deborah and she was one of the judges and she would sit under this tree that became known as the the tree of Deborah and she would give God's people God's law. She would help God's people know God's law and, and judge them and, and, and help them to understand the law of God. And so God's people would come to her and she would teach them the word of God. They came to her for judgment. Verse 6, it says, she sent and summoned Barak. And so now Barak enters into the story. The son of Abinoam from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Now, this is what she says. The prophetess Deborah says to Barak, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and from the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon and with his chariots and his troops." This is still the Lord speaking. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. 
But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road, you are on, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up, to, uh, went up with him, and Deborah went up with him as well. Verse 11, now Heber the Canite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone out to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron. So they're up against a great army, these 900 chariots. That was like tanks in their day, well-armed, well-fortified, and all the men who were with him. Verse 14, and Deborah said to Barak, up. For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and flew away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Harosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Verses 17 through 22 tell us about how the general Sisera went to take a nap in a lady's tent. And she killed him in his sleep by driving a pent tag through his temple. And then in verse 23 it says, So on that day God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the... And the Hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. And so, in this story, there are five main actors, five main actors that we see. We see the people of Israel, they're not obeying the Lord, they're turning away from God, they're not following him, they've rebelled against him, they've gone their own way, they've gone their own path, they're... They're following after false gods. That's the people of Israel. That's what they're doing. The second main actor we see is the Lord. And so the Lord turns them over to bondage. If if you will not serve the Lord, guess what? You're going to live in bondage. That's it. You're either going to serve the Lord or you're going to live in bondage to the enemy. And this is a picture of, of the world that we have today. Uh, Jesus even said this. He said that those who practice sin are a slave to sin. You either serve the Lord or you're in part of the kingdom of the enemy, part of the kingdom of Satan, in the bondage of the devil. Those are the two options. And so they were not serving the Lord, and so their Lord turns them over to the bondage of the enemy. And then the third actor we see is the enemy, the oppressors, King Jabin of Canaan and the army commander Sisera. Now, the fourth actor we see in this story is this prophetess and judge named Deborah. She's called a prophetess. That means uh, that now, now when we think of a prophet or a prophetess, 
we typically think of somebody who is foretelling the future. When we think of prophecy, a lot of times we think of predicting the future, of someone having a revelation from God and, and speaking out what is going to take place in the future. How many of you, when you think of prophecy, that's what you think of? And certainly Deborah does that. She even does that in this story when she says to Barak, you're not going to get the glory, but a woman is going to get the glory. Speaking of the woman who, not of herself, but of the woman who took the life of Sisera by driving a tent peg through his head. So certainly in her ministry, we see this foretelling of this predicting of the future, but we also see in her ministry another part of the prophetic ministry, which we don't think of very often, but in fact, for the majority of what we have in the Bible is what comprises the ministry of the prophetic, and that is not a foretelling of the future, but rather a forthtelling, a proclaiming of the word of God and even a proclaiming of, of what God's word and he has already said in his word. And so the majority, as you read through the prophets in the Bible, the majority of the prophetic literature, some of it is predicting the future, but the majority of it is calling God's people back to faithfulness to his word, which is a very important ministry of the prophet calling people back to faithfulness, proclaiming what God has already said. And if you look at the ministry of the prophets in the Old Testament, especially Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, even into the minor prophets, they are calling God's people back based on the word of God. They are proclaiming the word of God. And so that is the ministry of the prophet. And we see that as she goes to Barak, and she even proclaims to him what God has already said. If you look in verse, uh, eight, uh, verse 6, when she calls Barak, she says, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Past tense. Hasn't God already commanded you this? And so she calls on Barak to do what God has already commanded. Which brings up an interesting question. Now, all of that brings us to the fifth main actor in this story, which is Barak, which is the, the, the man in Hebrews chapter 11 that is, is lauded for his faith, is, is held forth as an example of faith. And so it's interesting to me that the Lord had spoken to him that he was to be a deliverer of God's people, yet he's not doing it. He's an interesting character. He has great influence, because when he goes and calls forth an army, 10,000 men show up. I mean, so he has influence. He has the, the anointing of the Spirit of God on him. However, he's not walking in it. He's not living it out. Something is lacking in his faith. There's some sort of disconnect, and, and I don't really know what it is. It doesn't say what it is. But we do know that something is hindering him. Something is holding him back. Something is going on in his life that is stopping him from doing what God had called him to do. It could be any number of things. It doesn't say what it is. We can fill in the blank. You can fill in the blank with what is it that's stopping you from doing what God has called you to do. 
It could be fear, it could be doubt, it could be unbelief, it could be hidden sin, a guilty conscience, ashamed of your past. Maybe some things have happened in his life that have just beat him down over time. Honestly, to me, he seems kind of depressed. So maybe he's suffering from depression, I don't know. Nevertheless, the writer of Hebrews, it's interesting, holds him up as an example of faith. It's an example of faith. And so let's take a few minutes and and examine Barak's faith. And there's three things I want to point out to you about Barak's faith, and it may be true of our faith as well. The first thing we see about Barak's faith is that he needed someone to remind him of his calling. He needed someone to remind him of his calling. He had been called by God. God had called him to be a deliverer of Israel, to set the people of Israel free from their oppressors. But he needed somebody to remind him. And so God put this prophetic word in Deborah's mouth. And she went to him and she says, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men. He needed someone to remind him of his calling. Now, this is not unique in the Bible. We see Peter after he had denied Christ three times. Didn't he need someone to remind him of his calling? Didn't the Lord go to Peter after he was risen? What was Peter doing? Out there ministering, out there preaching, out there evangelizing, out there doing what Jesus had taught him to do, to be a fisher of men? Hadn't that what God had called Peter to do? Is that what he was doing when Jesus found him? No, what was he doing? He was just fishing for fish. He was out fishing for fish, not fishing for men. And Jesus went and found him there and called him and reminded him of his calling. Jesus went and said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep restored Peter to his ministry. Peter needed to be reminded of his calling. Do you know the Apostle Paul needed to be reminded of his calling? In the life of Paul in the book of Acts, there's actually a 10-year gap where the Apostle Paul totally falls off the map. After, soon after his conversion, uh, the Apostle Paul, he begins to minister, he begins to preach, and immediately he faces opposition. Immediately, there's an attempt on his life. He has to be lowered outside. He has to be lowered from, from outside of the city wall, over the city wall. He has to escape in the middle of the night in a basket because people are watching the gates of the city to try and kill him. So he leaves from, from that city, Damascus, and then he goes to Jerusalem. He thinks, you know what? I'll go and join the, the apostles. I'll, I'll, I'll learn from them. I'll, I'll find out what they have to say. And I'll join the church there. And, and he goes and he tries to join the church there. And they say, hey, uh, no, sorry, you can't come to church here because you were just trying to kill us like three weeks ago. So sorry, bud. No communion for you, Saul of Tarsus. And so Barnabas goes and Barnabas vouches for Saul. And he says, no, his, he's converted. He's seen the Lord. And so the, the apostles welcome him in. But then Paul begins to preach in Jerusalem, and the same thing that happened to him in Damascus happens to him in Jerusalem. 
Opposition arises. People try to kill him, try to take his life. There's a plot made on his life. And so uh, the, the, the disciples there, the Christians there, help Paul escape Jerusalem. And, and from there, there's a 10-year gap in Paul's life. It says Paul went back to Tarsus. Paul went back to his hometown. He had faced three very disappointing things. Persecution, attempt on his life. He, he at first wasn't accepted by the apostles. Later he was. And then thirdly, a second attempt on his life. So he says, I'm going back home. I'm going back home. And there's a 10-year gap until Barnabas once again goes and finds Paul in Tarsus and says, come with me to Antioch. There are some people who need to be discipled in the Lord. And Barnabas opens the door for Paul to begin ministry again. Paul needed to be reminded of the calling on his life. Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, needed to be reminded of his calling in his life. The whole book of 2 Timothy is this powerful, impassioned reminder to Paul's son in the faith to remember his calling, to remember that God had called and chosen him. But guess what? Did you know that every single Christian has been called by God? Did you know you have been called by God? You may be not be called to be an apostle. You may be not called to be a missionary. Maybe you are. And by God's grace, you'll fulfill that calling. Amen? But whether we are, whatever ministry we're called to, there is a general calling on our lives. We are all called by God as Christians. And we, just like Barak, from time to time, we need to be reminded of that call of God on our lives. Amen? We need someone like Deborah who will come and remind us of the call of God on our life and to tell us, you are a Christian. You have been called by Almighty God. You have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You have been filled with the Spirit of God. You have been filled with the power of God. You have been called to walk worthy of that calling. We need people in our life to remind us of that. Amen? So it's not just Barak that needed to be reminded of the call of God. We need to be reminded of the call of God. And guess what? The Lord can use us too to remind other people of that. Discouragement is real. I know I talked about this a little bit this morning, about the need for encouragement. It's so easy to become discouraged. That's why the Apostle Paul writes, he says, don't become discouraged in well-doing. It's easy to become discouraged in this life. Therefore, we need to be people that encourage one another. Let me encourage you tonight. You have been called by God. You have a calling on your life. The Lord called you out, singled you out by name. It's not an accident that you're a Christian. The Bible says that you didn't choose him, but he chose you and ordained that you would go out, go out and bear much fruit in his kingdom. The Lord is going to use your life to bear much fruit for him. You are going to be used mightily for God. Amen. Amen. Number two, Barak needed someone with him that he trusted in the midst of the battle. He needed someone with him that he trusted 
in the fight, during the fight, in the midst of the battle. We see that in verse 8. After she had reminded him of the call of God on his life, he said to her, I will go if you go with me. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. He needed someone that he trusted. He needed somebody that, he, that, that believed in him, in his corner, even when things were going to heat up in the midst of the fight. And don't we need somebody like that in our lives too? It's not just Barack that needed somebody who he could trust. We need somebody that we can trust. And let, guess what? There, there, is, there is someone who is closer than a brother, the Bible says. That's the Lord Jesus. Listen, there are times in our life where we may even feel alone and isolated. You, even though we might be gathered here tonight with God's people, you may even feel alone. But let me tell you, you are never alone. As one of God's people, he has promised to never leave you or forsake you, that he will be with us always to the end of the age. We have the Lord with us always, always. The Bible says, always the Lord is at my right hand, always. That means that he is as close as the mention of his name. Whatever, whatever battle, whatever trial, whatever you are in the midst of, at any moment, at any time, you can invite the creator of the universe into your situation just by calling on his name, by calling out to him. Barack needed Deborah to go with him. Guess what? We've got somebody even better than that. We've got the Lord Jesus with us always, always with us, always with us. And number three, again, Barack, again, needed some motivation, needed some encouragement. We see this again in verse 14. He had assembled his army. 10,000 men had come. They had drawn up battle lines. The chariots of the Canaanites had gathered against them. The armies are there. The armies are ready. But Barak is laying down in his tent. Again, I don't know if this guy had a stomach issue or, or what, but there he is. He's not out leading the army. And so verse 14, Deborah comes to him and says, she doesn't even say get up. She just says, up. I just imagine her kicking him. Again, that's not in the Bible. That's just my imagination. But up. Why? Why should he get up? For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? He needed some encouragement. He needed someone who could come alongside him and say, let's go, let's fight. God is with us. God is on our side. And we need that too, don't we? Don't we need people in our lives who can tell us that? Did you know that even the Lord Jesus needed encouragement? Two times in the Gospels, I want to draw your attention to when the Lord sent angels to minister to the Lord. The first was after he was tempted in the wilderness. 
Verse, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 11 says, The devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The second time we see this is in Luke chapter 22, verse 43. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane as the Lord is praying, as he's heading towards the cross, as he was prevailing, as he was travailing in his spirit, praying with the, the, the shadow of the cross looming It says, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, strengthening him. Listen, if the Lord Jesus needed encouragement, how much more do you and I? Let's be people that encourage one another. Let's be people that strengthen one another. Let's be people that see each other, not with our natural eyes, but through the eyes of faith. We all have our shortcomings. We all have our faults. We all have our weaknesses. We all have our battles with sin that we're overcoming. But you know what? When the Lord sees that, as redeemed people, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees a saint. He sees the potential that we have for him. May God give us those eyes for one another. As we look at each other, let us not see the faults and the failures and the weaknesses that we all have. But let us see who we are in Christ. Who we could be for Christ. And let's be like Deborah, who called it forth. Who said, God's calling is on your life. And you're going to produce much fruit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's the calling on all of our lives. And we can say that and speak it out in faith. And call it forth. If the Lord Jesus needed angels to come and minister to him, how much more do we need one another to encourage and to strengthen us? In Acts chapter 14, it talks about how Paul and Barnabas went around to the churches they had planted, and it says that they strengthened the souls of the disciples. Strengthened the souls. There's so many believers today that They love the Lord. They love the Lord. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. They just need to be strengthened. They just need to be encouraged. They just need someone to come alongside them and to help them. Strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and telling them that through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. I love how in each of these interactions between Deborah and Barak, Deborah is never condemning or talking down to him. The tone is always one of building up, not exposing his faults and his weaknesses, which we can even see in the, in the story so clearly. She doesn't beat him down. She doesn't say, why are you so lazy? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so depressed? Why can't you get up out of your tent? Why, why? No, she doesn't do that. She doesn't beat him up. She builds him up through the eyes of faith. And so let me just encourage all of the married couples here tonight. 
Let's be like that in our marriages. Let's be like that for one another. Listen, there are, there's all, all, we always have, there's, there's always going to be times where we go through, man, I am out of words today. We all experience times in our life where we are down and we need others to lift us up. Man, what a beautiful thing that marriage can be when we lift up one another and encourage one another, when we call out the best in one another, when we see one another through the eyes of faith, which is sometimes hard to do when you live with somebody 24-7. But we're God's people. Amen? We're God's people. Let's live with the eyes of faith. Let's encourage one another in our homes. I have seen in my time as a pastor marriages fall apart because they tore each other down. Let's not do that. Let's not be people that tear one another down or beat one another up. But let's be people that build one another up. Reminding each other of our calling. Somebody that can be trusted in the midst of the fight. And an encouragement. Not just in our marriages, but in all of our relationships and all of our interactions. And let us, as married couples, let's be mindful of the, those in our midst who are single. Those in our midst who fight the battle single. Who need others in their life to encourage them. May, may we as married couples be a sense of encouragement to those who uh, do not have a spouse to lean on. Amen? We all need to be reminded of our calling. We are Christians. We serve the Lord. He has called us. We all need someone we can trust in in the midst of the fight who will be there with us. The Lord Jesus is the one who never leaves us or forsakes us. And we all need encouragement. We all need motivation. We all need someone who can come alongside us and say, keep going. The conclusion of this story is not only the conclusion of this story, but it's going to be the conclusion of all of history. In verse 15, it tells us that the Lord routed Sisera, and all his chariots and all his armies fell before Barak by the edge of the sword. Listen, all of human history is headed towards the day when God will be victorious over every enemy, over every foe, and I believe that when we step out in faith and when we wield the sword that God has given us, the sword of his word in our lives, that the victory in our lives is likewise guaranteed. Yes, we are waiting for that future victory when Christ will return, but there is a victory to be won now. There is a victory to be won in our lives and in our families and in our community now as we wield the weapon that God has given us. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh, but they are of the spirit. And the weapon is the word of God. 
God is the one who guarantees the victory. He guaranteed the victory for Barak, but Barak had to step out in faith. Barak still had to pick up the sword and fight. And so if you are believing God for a victory in your life, you've still got to pick up the sword and fight. Even though he is the one who has guaranteed the victory, if we don't ever use his word, if we leave the sword in the, the, the drawer collecting dust, guess what? There's not going to be a victory. But he calls us to swing the sword. He calls us to pick it up. And when we do, he is the one who is able to give us the victory. Exceedingly, abundantly, all that we could ask or think our God is able. So let us be encouraged tonight to be in God's word, to use God's word, to obey God's word, to step out in faith on God's word and anticipate a great victory in every area of our life. Amen. I invite you to stand with me tonight. I'm going to give you a homework assignment. Tonight, you have homework. Before you leave tonight, I want you to go and encourage three people. I heard someone groan. <laughs> they really need it. Before you leave tonight, let's encourage three people. All right? Let's encourage three people. Uh, things like, I like your shirt. Not really what I'm thinking. Your hair looks nice tonight. No, no let's encourage someone. In the Lord. Let's encourage someone in the Lord. Amen? At least one person. You, got, you can ad at least encourage one person, okay? Uh, let's do that. And let's do it every day. What, what, a, what a great thing, what a great thing to endeavor to do every day is to try and encourage somebody every day. To wake up every day with the intent that we are going to encourage someone. I think that's part of our calling as believers. Amen. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come uh, tonight. And uh, as they're coming, let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for these examples of faith. Lord, I even thank you of the story of Deborah and Barak and the dynamic that was going on there. Lord, all of us at times, we need someone to remind us of our calling. We need someone who can be with us in the fight. We need someone who can encourage and motivate us. So Lord, help us to be those kinds of people and help uh, us to have those kinds of people in our lives. And Lord, help us to be the people that know that you have guaranteed the victory in every battle, in every fight, in every circumstance. Lord, if we will use the weapon that you have given us, we know that you go before us and fight our battles for us. And so, Lord, help us strengthen our souls to trust in you and in your word in every area of life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.